And we're live with our 134th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another episode. Uh, we're excited to be here again. We've got some topics to go through today. Um, as you can see, we don't have a guest. So if you have questions, feel free to reach out either via Twitter or Slack or in the YouTube comments section, whatever you want. Um, as far as announcements go, we do have the secure code review course. Um, at Black Hat that we will be presenting. It is virtual, uh, but anyone that's interested, we haven't taught that for a while because of, uh, you know, global pandemic, yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, jump on in. Um, let us know if you're interested or you can go to blackhat.com. It's under trainings to sign up. I think the early bird sign up goes until June or June 15th, something like that. So um yeah, we'd love to have you. We'd love to talk through code review stuff. If you haven't seen our content before, you know, find our, you know, it's, it's on our channel or we've talked about it in multiple places, um, what that framework looks like and what we use on a daily basis. Um, I don't think I, that that the overall approach has changed much. At, at least it hasn't for me, Ken, since we've, since we put out the course. Yeah, not, not, um, well, there, there's, um, there's definitely some updates we've we've like made def definitely to the uh, some changes, some alterations to the course, um, some additions for new things. But yeah, like I'm I'm excited to to give this again. It's been a while, and like I said, you know, there's been some things that we've we've learned since then to add to this. So uh, yeah, and also like um, so for instance, some more specific stuff about some. Uh, uh, around like a pull request type, uh, type of reviews. Um, yep. there's been some evolution there and some, some changes. So, um, yeah, anyways, it should be really fun. Um, I'm excited about it. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I know originally we were kind of like on the fence, but honestly, it's just good to get back to training and doing this with folks. So, yep. Yep. Getting back to presentations and things like that. I mean, that's the other thing, right? Like I, I feel like we've been pretty, quiet the last six months since like midwinter nights. I don't think we've done a, I don't think I've personally done a talk or attended much of anything. I just got completely burned out on it. And that's, that's one of the topics we want to talk about today as it is right is burnout, but um, it's been difficult to uh, get ramped back up, at least for me personally, right. To get super excited about a lot of things, but now that it's opening back up, I, I do feel a little bit better about it. And, and I mean, we use this stuff on a daily basis, right? Um, we've got, yeah, um, all sorts of, I, like, I, I was just thinking about it, right? I, I think I, I posted this to you in Slack or something at one point, but, you know, digging through somebody's code, finding uh, timing attacks uh, via source code review, right? And it was all because I was just doing authentication checks, and noticing the flow of how they were authenticating people, right? And um, I should probably pull up some code. I, I, I don't want to reveal too much, though, right? Client-wise, who it was that I wanted. Yeah. Who it was? I do but, remember uh, you hitting me up. Is this the the thing you hit me up about like last week, where you're like, "Yeah, process works again." Yeah, yeah, it was. And and you know, I was going to throw out a, a you know, a snippet on this, or maybe I'll do a blog post because we do have some plans to get the blog actually going. Right. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll throw some pseudocode together on it, but realistically it was just noticing how someone's handling user authentication and what they do first versus second. And, you know, I'm like, Hey, I think this is, timing attacks and then go run burp intruder and yep it's timing timing attack um and it's very noticeable right so it's not a small delay there it sounds like no no it was like what 10 to 12 times as long when right when the account actually existed and the password was being processed as opposed to when it wasn't but if you start to think about how people hash passwords and anyway I, I, uh, yeah I'm digging into details and we should probably, I should probably throw some pseudocode up first and we can talk about it, you know, in a future episode. So. 
I'd be happy to, uh, to, uh, Derek brought up that, um, I forgot, I must've mentioned in one of our previous podcasts about the whole, almost going to, to jail thing uh, for, for hacking. And so, uh, I mean, I'm happy to tell the story real quick if you think it makes sense, Seth. Yeah, yeah, let's do it, right? Like, I, uh, <laughs> that should be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, so I, I was working, um, I was, this is the last time I did any DOD contracting for clear reasons. Um, I was working actually at home VPN in to do all my testing usually. Um, but anyways, I was working from home and because I worked uh, for the Pentagon, I was going to contract for the Pentagon. I was doing um, Google hacking. You know, this is back 2009, 2010. So I was doing this like Google dork searches looking for, you know, mill and gov and DOD sites, right? In general. Yep. So, uh, and I was messing around with David Litchfield's Oracle Hacker's Handbook because the government was using a lot of Oracle. So um, I was just looking for things that I knew would be like pretty impactful, uh, essentially Oracle injection attacks, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yep. um, and so there are certain Google searches you can run to do that. It's no, no secret, no special sauce. I found one in the Cleoc database and Cleoc is a... Um, for those who don't know, uh, it is like if you were in the Navy specifically, um, your information's in there and there's a lot of information about you. Right. Um, so I found uh, 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 Oracle, I uh, found like an Oracle hacking uh, unpatched, like you could just dump the database finding. And I reported it to because it wasn't in scope for my um, testing, I reported like, and of course I ran, a, I ran a few commands to verify, like it wasn't a lot. It was like a handful of commands I ran just to verify that this was vulnerable. So then I contacted Rob Fuller, Mubix, uh, to let him know, cause we're buddies. And, uh, he, I knew he knew some folks at the, at the army, uh, or the, the cy- sorry, not army, the, the cyber red team command, which did consist of like army folks. At the time, what I didn't know is Chris Gates, Carnal Ownage, who's been on the podcast a bunch, lives five minutes from me, real good friends. Uh, now, I didn't know him at the time, and I didn't know that that was who Mubix was going to report the vulnerability to, right? So Chris reported that on to Cyber Command or whatever it was. And next thing I know, I'm getting um, pressure uh, like Rob and Chris are getting pressured to release their source, the person who uh, found this vulnerability. I thought it wasn't a big deal. Like I thought, well, I helped you guys avoid a really catastrophic uh, exposure of data. Um, so I was like, yeah, give them my information. Well, the next thing I know, NCIS, yeah, that people off TV, right? <laughs> NCIS hits me up and they're like, um, Mr. Johnson, we're opening an investigation on you. Uh, we believe you've operated outside of the, the blah, 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 blah. And next thing you know, instead of, which is fucking ironic because now they have bug bounties for the Pentagon, right? So if I had done that through that, it would have been fine. But I did this just as like goodwill gesture, which they would have never known clearly if you've got that bad of SQL injection on their Oracle hackers ham or Oracle uh, database, then uh, obviously they weren't doing any kind of proper detection that would have even, they would have even known about this. So I'm doing them a favor and that favor cost me like approximately two years of back and forth with them as they were like, yeah, like stop, start, stop, start with this investigation. You may end up going to jail. Um, just all this nastiness from it. Um, and then like uh, at the end of the day, just no one started. Just one day people stopped calling me. So I like checked in and like, yeah, we're, we don't your, your case is going to be closed, but it, we're just going to keep it open for now. And, uh, but, but I promise you it's going to be closed. And that was the last thing I ever heard. So for all I know, there's investigation. Still open. Yeah. I mean, so anyways, like that was the last time I did anything good for anyone. Cause Derek had asked at one point, like, or maybe it wasn't Derek. It was somebody in Slack was like, Hey, I, I have this thing I want. I think it was Derek though. I want to report this. And you know, my take was no, like, don't, don't, if, if you're not legally protected, they don't have some sort of legal, uh, some avenue of, of, you know, uh, 
reporting security vulnerabilities that they don't have a bug bounty program, do not put yourself, I can tell you like, honestly, that was one of the most stressful periods in my life. Um, I've had a couple of them and that was one of them. Um, I was very worried that I would, uh, as the sole provider for my household, be in jail. And so I would say to all of you, don't ever risk it. It's not worth it. It's super scary. And it was not enjoyable at all. So Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I think nowadays we we have a tendency, well, you don't, you're never going to forget that, right? But we have a tendency in the industry, the industry has forgotten how... <sighs> Yeah, how much that like independent research that was done was so gray at the time. Um, and we wouldn't report things because there was no such thing. Like, I, I mean, I, I think back to Rainforest Puppy, and I know I'm going way back, right? But RFPs hey, talk on- You want to explain who that is? <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the OG hackers. That That's all like, you know. That's where SQL injection came from. Yeah. And, uh, but RFP had a whole thing on responsible disclosure. I remember him giving a talk at Black Hat. This had to have been early 2000s, right? Um, about how we needed responsible disclosure and we needed to have some sort of uh, protections for people that were exploring and trying to improve things because that was what exactly what you experienced was the normal response from companies, right? Um, I remember, you know, setting up emails, just like random Gmail. Oh, well, okay. It wasn't even Gmail at that time, but like Hotmail accounts and, uh, you know, other things to notify people of vulnerabilities that I had found on their sites, just browsing. So like Derek, the stuff that you're seeing, like some MySQL error, whatever else it is, you would report it and they would come back at me and be like, Hey, who are you? Right. Like, why are you telling us this? Like, why are you trying to hack our site? You know, it was never this, hey, oh, oh, we need to go fix it. It seemed that the knee-jerk reaction for most companies at that time was, man, we're going to sue you and we're going to take you to jail or we're going to take you to court because, you know, it, because we screwed up, right? That was that was kind of the, the, the reaction at the time. And we don't have that quite as much anymore. Um, and like I was talking to somebody recently was asking, you know, you know, well, how should I get started? And I'm like, bug bounties, right? Go sign into bug bounties and go hack on those companies that want you to do that because it's a good, number one, it's a good learning ground, but number two, you're protected legally. And yeah, I, I mean, there's stuff that I did that I know was gray area at the time, and it was all just exploration and trying to learn, but there was no other way to learn. Um, yeah. Especially as somebody that couldn't afford, right. Virtualization or multiple servers or, you know, hell, trying to get a copy of digital Unix to run on anything or, you know, I know I'm going way back, right? But just exploring some of those avenues was not possible based on the cost of actually spinning something up, right? Yeah, I only yeah. learned web cracking on valid networks. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you did. Yep, yep. Sure. <laughs> No, I mean, the funny thing about the CLIOG database, I was in the Navy. So for those who don't know, I was in the Navy and my data was in there. And so I was like, why would you think that I would be like, I reported this to you. Like I didn't, you didn't find me. I told you like, it's my information that's in that database. I don't want that compromised. And still, even then, so you can imagine like what you were saying with companies that you, you have no vest. They don't know you from Adam. You got no vested interest really in, in, in maybe, maybe you use their products. So maybe there's some vested interest there, but you know, never, nevertheless, like they, they will, they would have come at you full tilt back um, pre bug bounty, which is why when people are like, yeah, but what do you really think about bounties? I'm like, well, I have two things to base it off of uh, that come to mind always, which is that scenario where I didn't have like a good way to report this. And I ended up getting, I mean, super, I mean, really like, when you think you might go to jail, it's a very bad situation. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the second situation is like my experience at GitHub. And it's been very valuable for us to have people just hack on some specific part of this gigantic code base and find something cool. Several things that are cool that are chained together. You know, th that th there's a lot of value in that. So when people ask me about the bug bounty, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good thing. You should have one. Absolutely. Yep. It's important. Yeah. And, I, you know... I mean, helping people out, right? Like run their bug bounty programs. I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of 
questionable content that comes in, right? Qu- questionable reports on, oh, this is a high. I can copy my cookie into another browser and use it to access the site. You're like, yes, yes. that is how cookies work. Facts. You are correct. <laughs> but um, a lot of that, I mean, it, it's hard to get too worked up about it, right? Yes, it's frustrating from a, you know, security perspective or like an application security perspective running a program, but it's hard to get too bugged about it because people are giving you your their time and they're trying to learn, right? Like that's kind of the the base level. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I just like that, that's a that's a pretty good story though. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I know I, yeah. actually Chris Chris Gates um has his own one too. I'd love to have him on to talk about it, but he had his own situation too with uh, unmarked vans outside his house and uh, some surveillance and such um, for his activities. So it seems to be like, put it this way. If you came into hacking like a decade plus ago, it was a different world than it is today. For sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 There there was a lot of underground. There was Um, a lot of, yeah. Like I said, there was a lot of gray area. And um, we've the industry has done a good job of taking away that questionability, right? But it still exists, right? Like you go out and scan the internet, right? And you see some of those scanners that are going all the time, and like what Shodan does, um, it's questionable, right? Like they they are definitely operating in a gray area as a company, and yeah, depending on who they scan and how they approach it, um, it could have problems. I mean, it was the same issue. Honestly, when I first started working at like the bank, right? You're building a pen- penetration testing team, building an application security team for the bank, and we would scan the internal network. And do you know, yeah, I mean, you know what was off limits was the mainframe because it <laughs> the, could the it, most it, important the most important piece of the bank, like processing you know millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars a day, because it could not take. Uh, a TCP hands, handshake that didn't complete, right? So basically an Nmap scan, just like a simple traditional Nmap scan, no, none of the special like SYNAC or yeah, SYN scans or anything else, right? If you scan the mainframe, it would abend because it would open all these ports and it would basically just spin out of control. That That's no longer the case, right? IBM has fixed that, but it was off limits to the security team. We were not allowed to look at the mainframe. Right. And th- that's where we started from. And then even then being called out in meetings, meetings, because, you know, I found like SSH keys and the ability to take over Cisco routers and um, like the network guys coming after us because, you know, like we don't have whatever CCIEs. We shouldn't be telling them how to configure their routers. Right. Stuff like that was just so prevalent. Um, and it was demoralizing, right? Like, luckily I had bosses that would stand up and were like, no, right? Like it, it, if Seth can do this, you don't then... need a CCIE to know no. FTP and Telnet shouldn't be allowed <laughs> arbitrarily. Yeah. Well, it, it wasn't even that it was like SSH and they're like, uh, you know, they're, they've got SSH private keys that are posted like on wiki pages and I, just just stupid stuff, right? But you know, heaven forbid. Like I don't know because, uh, yeah, not I'm the CCIE. young young kid. Yeah, I'm not a CCIE. I didn't study for years and take that test and go through the the fire that was that. So, yeah, which that well, is an intense certification, but yeah, oh, it is. It it definitely is, right? Not and the I, point, but yeah, yeah, it's very intense. It is intense. I, I mean, now not the point, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the same thing, right? Like if the cloud guys were like, no, no, you can't come and tell us how to run IAM because you haven't, you don't have your whatever AWS certification. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of that has disappeared, right? There's a lot more respect and you know, mutual, I don't know, not admiration, but at, at the very least, people are trying to, to move the same direction nowadays. Um, I, but 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 some of it is our own fault, right? Like we kind of come from this old admin like bastard operator from hell um, mentality and security where everybody else is just doing stupid shit and we're the ones that should be telling them how how to run things right and so yeah anyway I, I like I, I see both sides but 
I definitely don't see you getting, you know, thrown into jail for uh, scanning a public website, right? That's that's probably not a cool thing. No, that was that was super scary, but I'm glad that uh, it worked out and that I uh, am not in jail. So I'm very happy for me that I'm not in jail. <laughs> Congrats! And now out. the investigation is open back up. You're welcome. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to get a call here any moment from NCIS. So fun, fun. No, but uh, you know. It, it, and and that was just that experience. It's obviously, like you said, things have changed since then for the better. So, um, you know, thankfully some other people are going to have a better experience than I had, but, uh, yeah, just make sure you're, the, the summary here is make sure you're like legally co- covered. And if you're not, don't take any, it doesn't matter if it's a 0.0001% chance risk. Don't take the risk because it's not worth it. It's never nope. worth it. So nope. make sure you're legally now. covered. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I, even I'm, with bug bounty programs, make sure they have safe harbor and all that stuff in place. Just make sure that you're legally covered. So, and I'm sure there's plenty of talks on YouTube we could pull up, or just on the web in general that talk about all the protections you should make sure you have in place for yourself. But uh, yeah, just no, don't take the chance. So yes. that wasn't even part of our topics, our topic list for today. But Derek asked, so it's a fun one. Now yeah. it's fun to talk about. <laughs> Uh, I see you put in the bastard operator from hell. hell. Yeah. If you're not familiar with the bastard operator from hell, it's, it's, it's entertaining. Um, But uh, for a long time, that's how we were viewed. Right. But, and then it also goes back to uh, what Guilfoyle from Silicon Valley, like his rant on what he does as a a security person. Right. Yeah. I love Uh, that. Yeah. It's super entertaining. But you wonder why we have the reputation that we do, and that's part of it, right? That's the that's the view that business and even you know like IT has of security at, at some level. So. Yeah, but now everybody talks about like relationship building with developers and and all of that, and like you know because that's where it came from. It came it came it was totally warranted. I mean, it was a very adversarial relationship. I can remember many times walking into you know, uh, meetings, especially again, as a um, consultant and working as a government contractor, both two different roles at two different places. But, uh, you know, earlier, pre-2012, essentially. um, And I can remember there were many meetings where I'd walk in and it was just like, nope, that's not possible. And I'm like, well, these screenshots, they, they say differently. Yeah. And it's like, well, it shouldn't be possible. It's like, these, these screenshots, look at them. They say differently. Like it's very <laughs> obvious that you're, you're missing something here, you know, and it would go like that, but you know, whatever things have improved. We've got all these talks about like, you know, relationship building and, and all of that with developers throughout the, the last like five, six years. So it's, it's definitely improved, especially, you know, you see more security people at like DevOps specific conferences and now there's like DevSecOps and anyways, there, there's a lot of movement in the right direction. It's just, it wasn't like that earlier. So that's how that yeah. all came about. Do you want to talk about the, um, the sanitization API that Google and Firefox are working on a little bit? Sure. Let's start with that. Let me see. I'll, you post do you it. To, do you want me to post? I can. I have the link. Okay, go for it. Sweet. Cool. And then I'll post it here as well. And uh, yeah, so um, this was, so Jason White shared this. Um, so hat tip to Jason. Um, he shared this with uh, some of us at work. Anyways, what's cool about this, like, um, I can give a brief synopsis real quick. The The overarching idea here is that JavaScript sanitization libraries require constant upkeep. They have to be included in your source code. They have to be, you know, we, we call it vendored in, right? It's got to be basically pulled. Well, if you don't want to call out externally to, to someone else's job, which you shouldn't, JavaScript being hosted somewhere else, you would pull in the JavaScript sanitization libraries and you would, you know, you leverage them to make sure your input is, um, it's you're not putting some malicious JavaScript code uh, reflecting that back and that's being executed in the DOM and whatever it's whatever. So my point is about all of this is that uh, the, the idea here is that instead of using these libraries that have to require upkeep, 
Um, they pretty quickly can be insecure if not maintained correctly. There's also like weird browser behavior amongst browsers that you know each library has to kind of adapt to. Um, what they decided to do was work with Cure 53, who if you are not familiar, pretty much the hands down, you know, most knowledgeable people about cross-site scripting attacks would be Cure 53. I mean, I think Mario, oh, I'm gonna butcher his last name. I'm just saying Mario from there is like, very prominent, um, prolific JavaScript, uh, you know, attacker, researcher. Um, and anyways, so they're working with, they being Google and Firefox, they're working with Cure53 to build a sanitization API that's just accessible in the browser. And it does no longer requires you to include JavaScript sanitization libraries um, to prevent like DOM clobbering and just, you know, having... Let me uh, post that API spec as well here, real quick. Yeah, you can hey, see Cure it, examples Cure 50, of it. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say Cure fifty three. Uh, they've got a JavaScript library, DOM Purify, right? They're, they're the developers of that. Um, so it makes sense that they're working with Mozilla and with uh, Google on this uh, because they, they they've been on that forefront. And it, what, what's super interesting about DOM Purify, right? Like I know they want you to use the latest version, but it's like an XSS library or a Purify library, right? That that um, sanitizes HTML, uh, but there have been flaws in that as well, right? So there's there's instances of uh, there CVEs for for DOM Purify, which those guys know. Um, but yeah, they're working yeah, we, on yeah. Yep. We've, I mean, we've definitely used DOM Purify in the past. Um, it's, yeah, like you said, it's, it's a super useful library. But again, these things quickly fall out of the idea being instead of like, say, 25 different libraries, we'll say just arbitrarily, 25 different libraries requiring upkeep, new things being available JavaScript wise, and them having to, to like adjust to filter out and modify the library's behavior. Uh, to adjust for that, um, you're talking about one team working inside of a an API that's just built into the browser and it can be called. And you can see some on your screen, you should be able to see some code uh, snippets that show like, here's a here's the string. So you see a string to clean object receiver, whatever you want to call it, that has, um, it's basically a string object that's got like some Java, some rogue, it says rose, rogue script stuff embedded in it. And when you call, you know, sanitizer dot sanitize to string and you pass in that receiver object, it goes ahead and cleans. It looks like it just completely removes that um, malicious content there. You see uh, it says script and then def. So you see here, it's just completely removed the little malicious um, example of what a you know, malicious JavaScript looks like. So it's nice because now you have people like I, I'm definitely interested in your opinions on this. Uh, Seth, but I think it's nice just because you have um, less split focused among different libraries and more of just like a in in the product where the where where HTML and JavaScript is going to be rendered, you can in the product call its API to make sure that it's done safely. Yeah, there are limitations. No, I, but I'm, yeah, I'm curious about your thoughts. Yeah, here. yeah. I, I mean, it, it, this feels like one of those game changers, right? Um, Right. I, I, I mean, when we start talking about encoding libraries um, and I mean, I go, I go back to SQL injection always, right, is, OK, SQL injection was a problem for years until the underlying way we passed data to databases changed. Right. Um, and I mean, it, it still pops up from time to time, but the number of attacks dropped or the number of vulnerabilities, exploits that we saw um, of SQL injection went from every application to one in a hundred, one in a thousand, because of the, the because of the way that we changed the underlying technology, um, and the way that developers interacted with it. So if we do the same thing on the within the browser side of things and just get used to the idea that hey, whenever we have content, you're developing a client side, you know, a client side HTML that you use the sanitized library as opposed to something else. Yes, there's going to be cases where it doesn't work. Yes, there's going to be edge cases. There's going to be issues with it. But we could definitely see that change. And that, like this goes back to the whole one true framework idea um, that 
it's not the, we don't put it on the developers to actually make the changes. We make them aware of what's there and then we give them the tools that do things properly, right? Uh, we create the the pathway that is, yeah, I, I mean, the, the least amount of resistance. Because, um, it, it, I mean, it's hard to solve, cross, solve for cross-site scripting. It is. Right yeah, now. it is incredibly difficult. It's always a very difficult thing to address. And that rabbit hole can go super deep. It's like, you can literally, like like I said with Mario, you can have an entire career just on like one class of vulnerability, like cross-site scripting that has so many nuances and so many different ways it can manifest. I mean, one thing, there are two things they did say, those are two types of attacks that they're going to have issues with, with this API or mutated XSS attacks and anything that exploits the server side generation, I'd assume, um, obviously because you, you need to, uh, I think I think where I could really see that coming into play is um, cases where you're calling from the client side, a JSON, uh, you know, JSON RESTful API, meaning RESTful call with a JSON response, and then, you know, not basically not sanitizing what's coming back and being reflected from that. Um, since you yeah. see, you see this all the time where JSON's consumed, it's got some um, you know, malicious JavaScript. And if you don't do the right things on the client side, you can um, parse that JSON and then just render that content. Um, so I could definitely see some, some that, like, it's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is to your point about the, you know, our ORMs and just libraries in general that help create an abstraction layer for SQL calls and then prevent in those abstraction layers um, the easy SQL injection issues. They themselves are not always perfect and can be used insecurely for sure. I think go to railsqli.org. You'll see a perfect example of that. Uh, thanks to Justin Collins for putting that together, but you'll see a perfect example of where those things can go wrong. And um so, but however, we, I would say on the whole, I don't see SQL injection that often anymore. You know, <laughs> yes, it's not, it's not, the solution is not perfect with these ORM and, and just SQL libraries, but it's pretty good. And it's really eliminated. A, a, it used to be just, man, I feel like it was easy to find SQL injection super easy when I first started an app site, which is like everything had SQL injection somewhere. And now it's like much less prevalent and so hopefully this does the same thing with XSS. I did fit, find it interesting. That one of the reasons they're going down this route, though, too, is that although CSP is a great tool, it's wonderful. It's adopted by some, uh, you know, some companies to just completely prevent cross-site scripting. Uh, it, it can be, like I said, a wonderful tool, but that they're having issues with adoption. Yeah, um, and I think that that's kind of, I don't know that this will solve that issue if you if you're not willing to sort of like clean up your the javascript you're 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 pulling in and rendering um and which is the main blocker to cs uh, csp usually right yeah. um then i don't know that it will solve that for those folks because I, I'm not sure if they'll want to, you know, if they'll care enough to use that a, api or or know about it and and invest in it so, but it's something that's coming down. So if you can't do a CSP, cause we definitely get people on our course that are like, there's no way we can do a CSP re for reasons. Uh, maybe this is a good alternative. Maybe. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, it's just another tool that you can use, right? That's, uh, and the, the, the fact that it exists uh, means that people will start to use it. And the fact that the browser manufacturers, the browser developers are pushing it out. So once it's available, Right, it may not be enabled on every site, but it's going to be over time. And that, I mean, that's the same thing that we saw with ORMs, right? As people upgraded, they you know created new systems. You know, SQL injection it didn't drop off the day that ORMs were released. It took a few years for people to adopt that method of interacting with databases. If we do the same thing with browsers, it'll just continue to chip away at it. And I, I mean, honestly, this makes sense from a Google perspective, from a Mozilla perspective, like they're running those bug bounty programs. And I mean, how much did Google pay out in bug bounties last year? And XSS alone was something like some insane amount of money, right? Like just crazy amounts of XSS 
because people are able to get around the filters that exist in the current state of XSS in the industry. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I mean, it's a good thing, right? From my perspective, it's not, I, there's no magic bullets. I, that, that, that's always what I go back to, right? It's not going to solve the problem completely. Um, I, I think it's a I don't better see, effort. It's a better effort. Uh, things like stored cross-site scripting, right? That, that they refer to as, hey, guess what? If it's coming from a trusted source and you're rendering it, like all bets are off because that's what the application is intending. And we, we view that as a trusted source, but I, but I also think back to, or I, I think about react and angular front ends, the use of dangerously set inner HTML when dealing with JSON data and developers have a tendency not to do that. Right. The amount of XSS issues that I found in react applications is so, so minuscule, right? Because yeah. uh, like the the guardrails are there, and this is just one more guardrail that we can put into place. So, for sure, yeah. No, I mean I'm I'm with you. I, I hope it helps reduce the amount of uh, crap. And also, also because I'm just sick of cross sites. <laughs> I hate to say it. <laughs> I hate to say this publicly, but I'm just sick of. It does not interest me like it used to. Like I. Eh, you know okay yeah it used to be you got this nice little dopamine hip whenever you'd get that pop-up that would be alert one or document.cookie yeah that doesn't happen anymore right yeah it's just it's like it's kind of like yeah it's probably possible maybe but like have do this xyz things and you probably are fine and it's likely not something anyone's going to use to actually again i know that there's I'm not saying nobody's using XSS to exploit anyone. I'm saying like contextually, if if you think about it and you have like a good CSP, it's blocking the pop-ups um, or, you know, not pop-ups, block, blocking the JavaScript uh, from executing, then like, what's the real, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. It's blocking it. So like, yeah, anyways, it just, it's not, it's not the most interesting thing in the world, especially with the new, sort of not new classes, but things that are starting to become more prevalent in place of XSS that are more like modern common issues that we're seeing, you know, SSRF we've talked a lot about, I think mass assignments always a newer one that, or whatever it's called, like direct indirect object mapping or insecure object mapping, like whatever title you want to give mass assignment, like mass assignment, SSRF, those are kind of cool ones. Those do interest me multi uh like multi i guess how i say it authorization issues that are like more of like what we would usually call logic flaws are very interesting especially business logic flaws uh just because it's like it requires quite a bit of um brain power to find those and chain it together and make it into something cool those are fun xss i don't know (laughs) But again, you know, it's, it is what it is. So it's not that's it. That's it. The, the title of this episode is going to be Ken hates S- XSS. <laughs> I don't hate it. I'm I'm more apathetic. Apathetic to XSS is it's pretty much the same much what thing, Ken. It's the same. Yeah, it's thing. the same thing. All right. <laughs> no, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's all good. Um, I I mean, I'm with you on it, right? Because um, we, I mean, we still see input validation issues right but the the authorization the uh, flaws around business logic are a lot more interesting um and maybe that's just that's partly like where we're at in our career because it is you know feels like xss usually is a pretty easy thing to find if the developers have done something wrong doesn't take a lot of brain power to you know check input and output for those sorts of flaws and then what does it get you right um yeah, that's one thing to remember. If you're on a if you're doing a bounty submission, you're probably making sure you're you're not probably you're making sure your payload's executing and that, like you're showing impact. But if you're a consultant or if you're on a blue team, you're you're going through and you're finding vulnerabilities and you don't necessarily need to prove out like, okay, I did this cool bypass, whatever. You're like, no, it's like clearly I can have the code or you know, it's very clear that this is this is with enough another day of putting in different inputs, I can bypass your um, your protections and get some excess to execute. Do I need to spend a day doing that? Or can I just say, look, 
do this one little change to your code and it's secure. Well, of course I'm going to invest my time in that, do this one little thing. And then I can spend time looking for more serious, like I said, the ones that require a little bit more um, brain power, I would say, which is like a business logic flaw or logic flaw. Not to say, by the way, that I, this is not to say that like XSS research, this is, XSS research is not included in what I'm saying. I'm talking about like doing engagements, doing pen tests, doing assessments, things like that. That's what I'm talking about. Not, the research. The research is super cool. Stuff like building an API into the browser, super cool. I am saying like in testing it on the other end of that though, it's not super fun. So um, for me anyways, anymore. So yeah, it's just a matter of where you spend your energy. I'm not going to spend a ton of time. It's just like with SQL injection. If you have SQL injection, if you can modify the SQL in any way, you have SQL injection. You don't necessarily need to like dump out the database or insert something or get a remote shell out from your shitty old Microsoft SQL server. Like you, you just need to show that there's some input that's affecting the query. Like let's write this securely and move on. Yeah. Right? So, well, and I mean, that was the, that, that was the whole, I mean, that was, that was one of the discussion points that I had with the, the whole sputter project that I spun up and we were trying was the fact that, Hey, on the, on the defensive, on the blue team side of things, um, once I know, or as a developer, once I know that I have a problem, I, I'm just going to go fix it, right? It, it doesn't matter if it's, uh, you know, a UI problem. It doesn't matter if it's a security problem. Um, it's it's all just code that needs to be fixed. So if you can show me that there's a problem with the, my like the way I'm handling user input, whether it leads to injection or whatever, but we're, we're going to go fix it. It doesn't matter if it's uh, like there, there may be some classification there, classifications there that the business needs or justifications for why I need to go spend time on it. And that that's the one point where I can be like, all right, you know, let, let, we can have a discussion on it. Right. Um, but traditionally it's now nah, let's just go fix this. Right. Like we know it's going to be an issue. We know if someone in the wild finds it, they're going to be able to dump the database eventually or they're going to be able to execute and attack our, our clients or our visitors to our site. Yeah. Let's just go fix it. Right. That's, that, that's where we're at. Yep. So. Well, I do like to see the research community working with the browser folks to, to fix things. It's so that's such like a, that's amazing. You know, that's really nice. That's really nice to see like hardcore hacker researcher community coupling with the browser vendors to, to sort of address this class of vulnerabilities where, where, uh, you know, where it really manifests. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I know you had another article you want to talk about, which was from Tinkersec. Um, it's just a dive into that. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess we may as well when we post it up, it's not necessarily an article. It's just a Twitter thread. That he or posted. Twitter thread. Sorry. Yeah. I read that yeah. whole thing too. I was like, wow. Yikes. That's tough. Um, it's harsh, right? Like he talks about um, burnout realistically is what happened, right? Um, and it was like it a all crazy amount of burnout, crazy amount of burnout. And it's basically because he didn't disconnect for so long that um, what, what they finally determined happened was he he burned the sugar in his brain that was feeding it to the point that he could not function, right? Like, and I, you know, I don't know if it was a medical diagnosis, right? Like, you'll have to read through that thread to see. But it, it came to the point that he just basically quit being a consultant and, you know, dropped off the face of the earth for a little while so that he could recover and and get back to a normal state and actually like work and and part of it was the pressures of being a consultant if you look at what he's talking about this like constant churn the new projects having to find things and perform at a high level at all times um, is what caused him to just yeah to burn out and and I totally get that, right? Like, I know you've been on the consulting side as well. Like, he's flipped back to working for a company because of that, being able to disconnect at five o'clock. But it's extremely difficult to do that in the consulting world because of the level of pressure that's there. Um, and I don't know, right? Like, it. it well, I my, stepped my, away from consulting for, yeah. you know, that being one of the reasons is that there's a lot of, it's a lot of, uh, 
it's a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult job. It's great. Mm -hmm. You get insane amounts of experience. You get ex insane amounts of exposure to different technologies and different development shops. And it's, it's really good for you. Like it's a career move. It's really good. And as an experience thing, but like, there's dangers. I mean, when I worked at Optiv uh, with you, or at the time, Fishnet Security, I guess now they're Optiv, but when they were just Fishnet Security, you and I worked together, man, my billable percentage was somewhere around 140% um, yep. for most quarters. Um, not because they made me, because I really wanted that. I wanted to, I was, pa I was, I was what you would truly call passionate and just wanted to like always hack on stuff. And even when work was over and I do two shifts, I would still continue to like read and hack on stuff and build code. And oftentimes with you, you know, I, I, I mean, it's like you're, but, but after a certain amount of time, there is diminishing returns. Like even yep. if you're loving it and you're not feeling the burnout, there are diminishing returns after a while for like, it's the same thing as overtraining your muscles and your it's, this is, this is also a muscle and you can overtrain it to it, to a degree and, and get a little, you know, past the point of where it's okay. And that sounds like he was doing that, burning the uh, candle at both ends, essentially. Yeah. And working like, didn't he say like 16 hours or something crazy like that? Yeah, day? like 16 yeah. hours a day and then just sleeping, waking up and doing it all over again for months at a time. And I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, I know we've, you and I personally have both struggled with that, right? Like, especially demanding bosses, demanding situations. And it might not always have been just like, oh, I'm just hacking on something or I've got a project. Um, but it's the, the combination of all that together with the stress involved, um, like you break at some point, right? And, and when you yeah. break, like the, what he did is absolutely I mean, it's valid, right? When I, when I, like, after we had our split there, I mean, you and I both just kind of dropped off the face of the earth for six months, right? Realistically. I mean, uh, I, I told you for three months, almost three months straight after that whole last thing uh, that, like, I just took, I did walks every day. I just did long walks and just sat and stared at the trees. I mean, I, I just, that's, I, my, I was, brain was broken for a little while. I like had to recuperate and just, you know, from the stress, from the sleep deprivation uh, for years on end, from the hacking until late in the morning, you know, just that yeah. years on end. And then traveling to you're traveling for conferences. You have to put, I mean, how many times do you put together a talk as you're also trying to like respond to people on at work on Slack and like trying to do all these things and juggle all these things and be all these things all at once. And, you know, you get to go up on stage and you talk and you tell about your experience and you share that with people. But in reality, like you're, you know, you're, that may seem nice. And then afterwards you go right back to your hotel room and you start working again. And it's like, yeah. that's the life that you lead. And it becomes after a while, it can really get to you. And I, I like, yeah, I think taking the, that time off, like you said, it's half a year to just recuperate. Sometimes you have to do that. Mm -hmm. If you've been burning, burning for running too hot for too long. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, it's a matter of finding that balance, right? And, um, you know, part of me wishes that we, you know, I'd done that earlier in, in my career as well, right? I mean, having a family forces you to do, do some of that, for sure. Um, because, you, you know, you have little ones or you have a, you know, a significant other that requires attention. And I mean, if you don't give them the attention that they need, like you can end up on your own for sure. Um, yeah. But it does, it does force some of those issues and, and some of those thoughts of, all right, why is it that I'm pushing so hard? What is it that I'm going for? What is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Um, because, because there is a lot to learn, and there, but there's always going to be a lot to learn, right? Um, at this point, yes, there's a lot that you and I have experienced that we've done uh, that we know how to do, but there are just whole facets of security that I haven't touched, Right. I, and right. I know I, I may never get there because, you know, there's there's enough that's in our like in our back pocket that we've had experience with that we can iterate on that for years without moving into other spaces. Um, and that doesn't mean that those other spaces aren't interesting and that, it, you know, everything else being equal. Maybe I would like that. Right. Maybe I would like to dig into it and spend some time on it on it. But it goes back to what happened at Tinkersec, right? 
is it worth the burnout? Right. Is it worth the fact that, oh crap, at some point I'm, I'm not going to be able to actually even work. And um, I do think about that after like that six month period, right. Um, when we started to ramp back into things and the slow roll that that actually took, like it was small projects here and there. It was, you know, starting the podcast and talking about our experiences. It was, um, yeah, I, I mean, it was coding here, you know, for a half hour or an hour at a time, as opposed to eight hour shifts that actually made me like things again, rather than just, okay, now we're back on, now we're back on to 12 hour days and the same stresses and everything else. And so being able to set those boundaries, yes, it's difficult, but it's worth it. That was, that was what I did. I mean, it was, it was similar to yours. I did a little bit of coding here and there throughout the day. I would, uh, read books and it didn't matter if it was a tech book. It was just, I had to read a book because what had happened, you know, in that period between my, my favorite job ever now, GitHub and the last one was this little space where, you know, I'd become so multitask oriented and constantly responding to things and constantly reactionary and constantly, you know, stress level at the highest levels and blood pressure at the highest levels that um, for me, I couldn't even read for five minutes without checking Slack or checking uh, something, email, social media, something, navigating away. So I had to literally relearn how to focus for stretches of time. And I would just build that up each day during that two and a half months where I would just, I would start with five minutes and then I would extend to 10 minutes. Chris Gates was of a lot of help because he and I would go to lunch and talk and, you know, just kind of share these things. And eventually it got to a point where, you know, you can read for a half hour and then for an hour and then your attention span starts to come back and then your interest starts to come back. But it, man, it is a hard road if you've completely burned yourself out to get back to being a functional person. So yeah. yeah. Well, and I think we all struggle with that focus wise, right? Um, I, it, you talk about it, but it's like everything that we deal with. I, I mean, I look at the number of Slack channels that I'm in and it, it's something insane, right? Like, and a lot of that is just client related and, you know, project based. Um, but at times that that can become a distraction to actually getting work done, work done. And the same thing goes for checking Twitter, um, you know, whatever social media that you're on, right? Like, unless you're disciplined about those approaches, it can take over and all of a sudden you're just spinning, right? Like we we talk about this focus in the course, um, right? Is don't get distracted, right? Finish out the task that you have set for yourself and you're going to be in the long run, it's going to work out for you. You know, you get, you get distracted looking at code because you're tracking down, you know, every time you see a SQL statement, you jump back into the SQL injection discussion or thought means that you're going to miss some of those nuanced vulnerabilities. And I mean, in life, that's the, I, I mean, when you're dealing with, yeah, in life, it's the same thing. You know, we get distracted and all of these different pressures are popping in on us at all times, email, Slack, whatever else, um, it gets hard to get to actually get work done. And it takes longer than it probably should, which then leads to 16 hour days, which then leads to, you know, burning glucose out of your brain and dropping off for, you know, months at a time. So, yeah, I've noticed with me, I even have a tendency with uh, at work to, I've noticed it. I slowly am staying longer and longer and longer online. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, what am I doing? I'm doing it again. Yeah. Like back yeah. down, back off and set my limit. And yeah, you know, to anyone who would tell you don't set limits on yourself. Yeah. Okay. We'll see how that works out long-term. See how great you are. Like, no, you should set limits. You should set boundaries and you should follow them. And <laughs> I, again, I do, I do think if you, if you're going to get really into it and you're going to listen, I would say, however, let's flip this though. If you are, especially like, okay, so, you know, as life goes on, typically you have more responsibilities. You might end up having a mortgage, some pets, maybe kids, maybe a spouse, right? Things, things build up and then your time gets really narrow. So I would say though, I am happy that in my younger years and very early on, I spent all that time doing that because now that I have all of that stuff, you know, put on my plate. Um, 
and I had far less time to do the amount of intense research and learning that I, I used to do. Uh, it, it's like I have all this muscle memory knowledge to build on, um, like you said, which is just making small changes when new technology crops up or new vulnerability classes exist or whatever. You're just making small tweaks to your already built you know, methodologies and approaches and everything and understanding. So, you know, it, I would say like, if you're going to do this, yep. You know, make sure it's, make sure if you're going to go really, really heads down and get really into the weeds on this, on learning security or like building your skill set, it's, it's uh, helpful to do when you have not a ton of responsibilities, but also even then set, set limits that you feel like are healthy for, for, you know, cause sleep, everybody, this whole, like this whole idea that sleep is like, ah, oh, sleep when I'm dead. That's ridiculous. That is a, it is not cool or something to brag about that you're not sleeping a lot. Like sleep is everything. Sleep is how your immune system fixes itself, which in a pandemic is, you know, probably a pretty important thing, you know, drinking right. water, drinking, yeah. drinking a gallon of water a day, you know, at least like getting some level of physical activity in, even if it's just a half hour of a walk or something like that, you know, take care of yourself, eat right. Don't shove crap food into your body. This is a, this, you put fuel. I mean, I made that mistake. So this is me preaching to people that I've made all these mistakes. I did none of this stuff. And like, I took a long time to recover from it, like physically too. So there, you know, your body is a machine, feed it with the right fuel, take, take care of yourself, but it's good to also go down the rabbit hole uh, of, of learning and, and being super passionate and, and all that. So I wouldn't say don't do it. Just take care of yourself if you're going to do it and set, set rational limits. Yeah. And, and I think that's what it comes down to is setting those limits. And um, I mean, if you have a propensity to, to work 16 hour days, right. You know, look and see what, you know, what Tinkersec did and actually spun off to, Hey, guess what? I've got to have a job that I leave at 5 PM. Right. I go do something else. So even if it is, I'm, I'm researching something it's because I want to not because the job demands it, which is a, a different, yeah. I, I mean, it's a different pressure, right? So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's something that we all struggle with, right? And you've, be, you've got to have those outlets. It may be time to actually have another like Twitter thread on, you know, what people's outlets are. Um, Cause I, I mean, I know people that, you know, go to the, go to the gun range or they go, I mean, I go ski, I go like up into the mountains, what, you know, BJJ, whatever else um, gives you, the impetus to keep at it is what's important. Right. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. healthy to have hobbies outside of this for sure. Yeah. I mean, yep. you know, that's just, I think that's common, maybe common sense, maybe not. I don't know. So yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't think like no, no joke. When I, when I was at my, like one of my first schmoo cons, you know, I, I like, you know, I, I was like, I'm, I'm hesitating to even tell this story because I feel really bad about it, but um, I was like super overweight and I saw somebody who was in really good shape and I made a comment like, yeah, but like, how can you be in shape and like be any good at this? Because I was a naive kid. I made a stupid statement. I thought it, I, I'm sharing this stupid thing that I said and the stupid thought. And, you know, in reality, the, the truth is like, no, that person probably just had really good balance in their life and I didn't. Um, so it's like, yeah, I don't know. We're I'm kind of spinning off here into to other stuff, but like, yeah, I, I just think like um, it, it's possible to really go down the rabbit hole, but also set proper limits and take care of yourself at the same time. So don't don't burn out. Don't make the same mistakes that I made early on yeah. that others have clearly made and are talking about on Twitter. So yeah, exactly. So yeah, take care of yourself, and I, I mean, it is possible to do it and not burn out, right? Um, but it does take some discipline. The wisest people learn from other people's mistakes. <laughs> there you so go. Learn from ours. <laughs> <laughs> learn from us. Yes, exactly. So, well, good. Ken, I mean, I know we didn't go to get to the 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 fat the dependency confusion stuff for Bundler, but it's fine. Right. We will. We'll, we'll get back to that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other announcements. I know we've been going for an hour, so. Yeah, but uh, check out the Black Hat course. Uh, we, I, I know Ken and I have, have teased it out before, but we do want to 
you know, get back to teaching this in person at some point, right? Once it makes sense and once everyone feels safe. Um, so we may start actually scheduling some of that. Uh, watch for announcements too on um, other conferences. I know we did Midsummer and Midwinter Nights Con last year. So there may be some follow-ups to that this year. Just depends on uh, Lodgy and everything else, all the other people that are involved. So mm-hmm. yeah. We, we, we do run on a volunteer, you know, basis. So um, we rely heavily on those folks. You know, it really, it's a l- far less of Seth and I. It's almost not Seth and I. It's the other folks like, you know, Abdullah and Ben and uh, David Linder and all those folks that, uh, Heather Lawrence, you know, a bunch, yeah. bunch of folks that have all helped out. So, yep, yep. They, yeah, they do. A, they do a good job and we like to, yeah. We just like Stephanie. to be involved. Yeah, and Stefan, so... Um, well, good. Yeah, I think that's everything for this week. Uh, do we have, um, I can't even remember uh, what we've got next week. Do we have a guest next week or I shouldn't put you on the spot? I have, and ask. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I have to look at our speaker lineup, uh, doc, but uh, I don't remember if we've got we'll be back next week. We, you know, yeah, I feel like no, I don't think I've lined somebody up uh, for next week, but I, I've got emails I got to send out so. There, yeah. That may change by, by next Tuesday. By so. next Tuesday. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but if there, as always, if there's anything that you want to talk about or you're interested in, please jump on Slack, uh, you know, throw the comments in there, whatever. And yeah, we'll see everybody next week. Thanks for joining.